So, Christopher, I'll be quiet whenever you're ready. Okay. <laughs> Is that something you'll be quiet whenever I'm ready at any time or just for this recording session? Don't push your luck. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacey Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast, where you get your adventure, books, and conversation from 11,000 feet in the beautiful Eastern Sierra. I'm Christopher. I'm Stacy. And with us as always is our producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hi, Doug. Hi, guys. So Stacy, another beautiful summer week yes. in the Eastern Sierra, right? Yep. And we got to have another adventure together. I love when we get to have our adventures together. You know, you'd think in summertime it would be easier for us just to meet up and get stuff done, but this COVID summer has been remarkably busy for just everyone I know, not just us, right? Right, and ch- and challenging to you know find things that we can do yes, that exactly. are within the guidelines <laughs> or within my capabilities. I should admit. <laughs> let's just let's just put that down on our too. But yeah, we had a we had a great little adventure up a canyon this week. Do you want to kick off the listeners on what we did? Yeah, sure. So we we visited uh, Lundy, California, um, Lundy Lake, and it is a community in in the county in Mono County that used to be a very um, very busy and productive community. It was home to a mill, a sawmill that produced uh, timber. It was a gold and silver mine, a very productive gold and silver mine in the late 1800s through the early 1900s. And now it's kind of a ghost town. And it was pretty cool to go up and check it out. It is kind of fun. You know, there are just so many communities that fit that description in, in Mono <laughs> County, right? It used to be much bigger than it is. Um, but yeah, I think it like, you know, when Bodie took off and the other kind of gold towns, gold rush towns took off and Lundy took off, like the, the mill was, there was, there was a lot of need to get wood up to Bodie. You right. hear that a lot in the County too, right? Yep. So I think some of what Lundy's mill was doing was getting timber up to Bodie ghost town, which right. we, inter- we interviewed um, Ranger Jackson a number of episodes ago. So right. people were, should be familiar with Bodie. Mm-hmm. But they, yeah, it, it had its own mining operation. Right. And it's actually named after W.J. Lundy, who was the operator of the sawmill. And hence Lundy Lake is named for him. And it was just a very productive uh, sawmill. And like you said, Bodie used all of that, that wood and for all of its structures that are still there. That are still there. Exactly. Um, and then the mining, I think the mining camp 
went for a few decades and then got kind of wiped out once or twice, right? Correct. Yeah. So there, there have been a number of avalanches in that area. And, you know, if you go there, you could, you know, see how it kind of sits down and all these huge mountain peaks all surrounding it. But the worst avalanche occurred in March of 1911 and the snow slides destroyed the power plants uh, not only in, in the town of Lundy, but the town of Jordan, which also was a small town that no longer exists. In that um, same canyon? In that same canyon, yes. Wow. So it was very destructive and um, just wiped out the town pretty much. You know, you can kind of see how that would happen when you drive up to Lundy. So for our listeners who are unfamiliar with the area, if you're driving north and you you would pass Mono Lake, you're in the Mono Basin. Mm-hmm. So you drive through Levining, Mono Lake, and then there's a left turn up Lundy Canyon shortly after that. Um, and it's a really narrow canyon. There's not a whole lot of breadth at the bottom. It kind of right. comes down into that classic V shape right almost into the water on both sides, right into the lake. Um, so there's really no, you, you could imagine it being a hard snow year and not really having any place to run <laughs> if an avalanche right. happened there. So I could see how it would wipe out a town or two. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a legend. Well, actually, I don't know that you call it a legend because they actually found this, um, that a stagecoach, uh, missed the turn into the little town area, which now the little town area has like maybe seven structures still standing. Yeah. But the stage coast missed this sharp turn and plummeted into the lake. And <laughs> years later, scuba divers found the stagecoach. So that's a real, that's a that real thing. That is a real thing, yes. That's not, that's not like the slot machines at the bottom of June Lake. No, <laughs> or the 100-pound or the trout at the bottom of Convict Lake. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> these are things that, listeners, if you haven't heard us talk about these things, you need to go back and listen to previous episodes. <laughs> well, so shortly, to finish out the story of Lundy, um, so yeah, the little town was wiped out. Uh, in that avalanche. And, you know, when the gold starts running out and the timber starts running out and your town's been wiped out a few times, you kind of give up. And so um, kind of the resurgence of that canyon was when they dammed the lake. It was originally a very small lake and then they dammed it and it grew up a little bit. And I understand that it, that the original site of the town is partially underwater today. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they probably, you know, plundered some of the the wood from the structures to build over in Bodhi or Levining or elsewhere as is their want. But then a few years after that, the area was rediscovered by a Hollywood person, um, Nellie Bly Baker, who was one of the early pioneers of, of cinema in Hollywood. She worked with Charlie Chaplin and... Um, you know, she was a a cinematographer. She, she, you know, was just this person who really trained herself to do a lot. She got an electrician's license to, um, you know, operate the electrical camera equipment. You know, she was one of the first to do that. And then she kind of left Hollywood and came up to, you know, the Eastern Sierra and Lundy in particular, and again, started pioneering. She was the first one, as Dave Woodruff told us in a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. to get us be a certified backcountry guide in the Eastern Sierra, you know, helping people 
fish and hunt and camp. And she almost single-handedly built the Lundy Resort that's there today. And in fact, you can see her cabin. You, it's it's still in existence and it looks old. It was built, you know, in the 20s. 20- it looks very cool, though. It looks very welcoming, actually. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, this is from the 20s and 30s and 40s. You know, the, this, these structures are still there, and they, they form the basis of the resort that you can go to today, which, as you mentioned, Stace, it's small. This isn't, um, a, you know, some of the, the canyons have big um, resort and pack stations and what have you, um, but Lundy Canyon is small and it's tight, and there's like a campground on the way in, just before the lake and then you drive around the lake and you're at the resort and there's some camping and cabins up above that, but not much else. So it doesn't feel too crowded when you're there, which is nice. And then when we were there, we walked up. Right. right? Yep. We walked walked up up the road and there were a number of cars. I was kind of surprised at how many cars were traveling on the road, but (laughs) and it's a narrow road. Yeah, it becomes a narrow dirt road up to the trailhead, you know, uh, a mile or two up. Um, and we just kind of walked up past, you know, beautiful beaver ponds and, you know, Waterfalls. it was just a beautiful day. Saw yeah. a lot of dogs, you know. Yep. It was fun. Lola it met was, some friends. Yes, Lola met, Lola got to come on this adventure too. And <laughs> she made some friends and it was, it was, a, it was just the perfect day. The, it was just beautiful, sunny day, not too hot. And, um, it was so much fun to go and check that area out and see, see that home and the fireplace that Nellie Bly built stone by stone by stone. Right. Pretty. I mean, it's pretty incredible to think that, that somebody could do that, um, back then. And that you can still appreciate it and see it today Mm -hmm. and hang out at the resort, go fishing or kayaking or, paddle boarding on the lake. There are plenty of people doing that. And again, it's just not too crowded. So um, yeah, listeners, if you get a chance, we recommend pull off on the Lundy Road and have a little adventure up there. Yeah, go check it out. So take a breath, maybe grab a glass of water and we'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, Books and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the B section of our podcast, the book section. Yay! Yay! A little cheer has become the new routine now um, for this section, so get used to it. Um, so, Stace, <laughs> we are closing out the summer of COVID here. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the summer of COVID. I, you know, I, I like the phrase the summer of love better than the summer <laughs> of COVID, but, but I'll go with it. I'll go with it. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to get to is, you know, it's just mentally exhausting sometimes to keep up with all this stuff. And, you know, as you and I have talked in the past, it's nice just to kind of clear your brain with with something not terribly serious, not terribly involved and not, you know, terrible, that takes up a whole lot of mental energy to to read. And um, so that's kind of what we decided to chat about this time, right? Right. Yep. Books we're reading now, palate cleansers, all of the above. 
So I think I went first last time. Why don't you tell us what you're oh. reading, cleaning your palate with what this am I, time? Yes, um, absolutely. Happy to do that. So I just finished actually um, two days ago um, a, the book called Still Me by Jojo Moyes. And mm-hmm. it's actually the third in the the Me Before You trilogy. It's the third book. Mm-hmm. Now, I did not read the other two. So I I just picked it up and I had read a book by Jojo Moyes earlier in the summer um, that I talked about on the podcast. And um, so I thought, oh, you know, let's let's try this. It seemed very, very different. The the last book that I read by her was a completely kind of different genre. And this. is more contemporary. The Louisa Clark, who is the the protagonist of all three novels, she leaves England and goes to New York and starts a new life working for a family, a kind of a messed up family on who live on Fifth Avenue. So here's this, you know, girl from working class. London and now she's on Fifth Avenue in New York and she's she an au pair? She is if you can be an au pair for a married woman <laughs> without children, just for the wife, then yeah, that's what she's like a wife au pair. <laughs> and she um she leaves her boyfriend who's a paramedic she leaves him in in london and she goes to work for this family and of course she's exposed to you know not only life in new york which is right. very different but life of a very ultra wealthy family in new york and right. you know they have servants for all of their needs and you know the 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 husband um Mr. Gopnik I think is his name is how you say it yeah he um he has married for a second time a Polish immigrant who's much younger than him mm-hmm. and so of course she is not accepted by New York society And as a result, she, and because she has some other baggage, some other secrets that come out in the story, um, you know, she's depressed. She's, she's apt to have these, um, fits of rage. And so Louisa is job is to kind of manage Agnes, the wife. Sounds like an, sounds exactly like an au pair. Yes. So, um, it was very engaging. It was very fun to read. It, it, um, it told, you know, Jojo Moyes is a great storyteller. Um, and, uh, it was, it was really fun. It was really fun to read. I really so, enjoyed it. So it was quick. It was very quick. And, um, and then the other book that I read a few weeks earlier that I just love, we actually read this for book club, but I didn't get to go to book club to talk about it. So I'll talk about it here. Um, <laughs> Have the last word, will you? Yeah. Well, you know, um, and the, it's called the wife stalker and it's by Liv Constantine. And it was, that was a great book. That was super quick to read. It was full of plot twists. You don't see the end coming by any means. Is it a thriller? No. No, not a thriller. 
Well, there, yeah, you know, there's one part at the end that gets kind of, oh, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. But that's just one part, just like one <laughs> chapter. What's what's a wife stalker? Where's the title come from? So that's hard to say without giving away the plot. Oh, okay. But ba- basically, what what you see from from the outside as you begin, I'll I'll share this as you begin the novel, you see a family a husband a wife two kids you know like perfect life mm-hmm. um and but the husband is very de- has fallen into this depression mm-hmm. the wife kind of in has him meet this uh woman who runs a kind of spa if you will mm-hmm. or well like a wellness center and the the woman who runs the wellness center starts kind of infiltrating the family. I'll Ooh. leave it at that. Yeah, so, that sounds like that sounds yeah. fun. Yeah, it was it that was really it was great. I was really bummed I couldn't go to book club to talk more about it, but oh well. <laughs> and I'm sure they talked about you since you weren't there. I'm right? sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. But the interesting thing is that Liv Constantine is actually two sisters. Really? Yes, that is a pseudonym. And it's two sisters that don't even live in the same state. Oh, I love that. They write they write all their books together. So that's I awesome. That's pretty cool. So yeah. um, siblings getting it done. Yeah, definitely. And that that's a new that was um recently published. That came out on um in May of, of this year. Um, still me is, is an older, that's been yeah. out for, for a few years, but yeah, both good books. Check them out. How about you, Christopher? Well, uh, yeah, I have a couple books too. Um, a little bit different than yours as usual, but just <laughs> as good for, you know, lying back on a couch or out on a, a lawn chair for an afternoon with a glass of something fizzy and cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is uh, a first novel by an author named Byron Lane, who's actually, I think, a screenwriter, playwright, and now novelist, um, kind of a young guy who lives in Hollywood. And this is a book called A Star is Bored. Bored. Bored, B-O-R-E-D. And it's kind of a what we would call a Romana clef. It's a fictionalized account of an experience he went through based on real people. And so Byron Lane's background is he was one of Carrie Fisher's personal assistants in recent years oh. before she died. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Carrie Fisher from yep. Star Wars days. And I just, I actually think I liked the later Carrie Fisher even better because she just found her like independent voice and she was mm-hmm. so very funny. And, you know, Postcards from the Edge is one of my favorite old time books to read um, and movies to watch. And so, you know, she was just this character that was larger than life. And I think that's what people appreciated from her, you know, even yeah. though, you know, she struggled with addiction, she was very upfront about, um, you know, bipolar disorder and struggling mm-hmm. with mental illness. And of course she was the daughter of Debbie Reynolds, who was like this, you know, massive Hollywood superstar of, of golden Hollywood days. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there's just like a whole lot of story right there in real life. And so, um, you know, he writes this, this novel about a young guy going to work for this 
Hollywood star named Kathy Cannon, who happens to be a writer actress who rose to stardom as a priestess in a 1970s sci-fi movie franchise. (laughs) So, you know, from page one that he's writing really about, you know, character and, and it just, everything aligns. She lives on a compound with her aging movie star mother named Gracie, who's also a piece of work, you know, and they just have a bunch of hijinks. She's, you know, he kind of, um, in a very loving way, it's, it's, it's clear that he really did care a lot about Carrie Fisher for as difficult as she could be. You know, he hits, hits on why she is funny, but also the tragedy again, that comes along with, you know, just behind the scenes dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, pill popping and, um, cocaine and, and, you know, being, a, having a good day and having a bad day and, you know, what it means to set something up and go, have her do an appearance and then everything melts down just beforehand. You know, he, there's all these different experiences and most of them are really quite humorous. He, he treats them kind of lightly. Um, so that I think a lot of people can approach it, but, um, you know, you kind of really get a sense of, wow, this must've been a real challenge for both of them, frankly. Um, so do do you, th- do you think, like, how much of it do you think is, like, straightforward, really, this is what happened, and how much of it do you think was kind of heightened for the reader's enjoyment? You know, that's a really good question. Clearly, you know, all the names, all the characters are kind of fictionalized mm-hmm. versions of some other people, especially the main character, Kathy, and her mother, Gracie are clearly Carrie and Debbie Reynolds. Okay. But, um, you know, uh, I think what he, he wanted to convey was that the humanity behind all of this being larger than life. And some of it probably is a little heightened, although, you know, you just have to go back and watch a few Dave Letterman clips to <laughs> understand how heightened Carrie Fisher was in real life when she was on. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so it might not be too many steps away from reality. Um, you know, he peppers the book with, with, he's a, he's a screenwriter. So it reads a lot like going to see a movie, frankly, okay. it's a quick read. I read it in a day. Uh-huh. Um, there's kind of, you know, pulses of funny offset by real drama. And there's a lot of really good sidekick characters mm-hmm. and, a, and, uh, and a, a loving lesson at the end. Um, but it does have also that just dishy element that makes you wonder, well, how much of this was really true? Right. So um, I'll let readers um, decide that for themselves. But it was a fun, just kind of escapist, you know, go live in Hollywood for a day kind of read. Um, so that Sounds was one. Great. Yeah. Sounds great. So that was A Star is Bored by Byron Lane. And, um, the other one that I wanted to tell people about was, um, a new memoir by Loretta Lynn, who we all know, famous country Western singer. She, you know, broke out with her autobiography, Coal Miner's Daughter, decades ago. It was turned into a movie. She has a new book out and it's called Me and Patsy Kicking Up Dust. And this is just a really brief almost like a collection of stories or reminiscences of her friendship with Patsy Cline way back in the early sixties when she was just starting out. So, um, you know, many people probably know Loretta Lynn's backstory. She was dirt poor. Um, she married really, really young to someone out of the army named Dooley. And they went off to Washington state to work on a farm where they kind of continued living that 
poor farm ranch life, but she could write songs and he recognized that and he helped, you know, get her gigs around Washington where they lived and, and what have you. And then finally got to a point where they took a chance on Nashville, which back in the late fifties and early sixties was still a pretty small town. Um, and she just describes, you know, what it took to go take that chance and get into Nashville. And then it seems in almost very short order, she makes friends with Patsy Cline, hmm. um, which, you know, I'll let readers understand how that all happened. But what I liked about this book is, you know, it covers the last few years of Patsy Cline's life before she died in a plane crash. And, um, you know, she... Patsy and her husband and Loretta and her husband became close couples, you know, oh. they did stuff together. Yeah. And, and, you know, Patsy Klein was always seen as a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more worldly. And so she kind of helped Loretta Lynn, who was just starting out, kind of find her own voice and learn how to navigate, you know, the songwriting industry and, you know, just be a little bit more of herself. And I think, you know, that clearly comes through that Loretta appreciates that from from that time and really misses her friend. The reason I recommend this book again, it's another really quick read, but it's like listening to someone tell stories of their childhood. Um, Only these two women happen to be hugely influential singer songwriters. So um, that's fresh out. Now I got my copy at um, Spellbinders. We have a copy in the library. Um, and that's uh, Me and Patsy Kicking Up Dust by Loretta Lynn. Oh, cool. It sounds it sounds really neat. Like is is Loretta Lynn a good, you know, writer of stories as as she is of songs? I think so. You know, I, some of this may have been a little bit of ghost written or helped, yeah. but you know, her voice comes across. Comes and her personality comes across. And you know, some of her songs are pretty direct, like yeah. you know don't you mess with my man kind of songs. And she right. gives, a, gives a few backstories there of how some of those songs got written, um, which is amusing. So yeah, I think, I think people who are fans of country Western music or, you know, American songwriting history or anything like that, or just want to hear some great stories. will will enjoy this book. That's great. It's, it's nice. It's nice to see stories, you know, that one woman tells about another woman that's, that are positive. <laughs> 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 this is true. Now there are other women that they refer to that the Maybe two of them so don't so <laughs> positive. But it is kind of like reading a who's who of, you know, early sixties Nashville country western wow. music. There are all the names are in this book. So cool. and you just kind of get the sense that they all hung out and ate barbecue on a Sunday afternoon together um, <laughs> on a regular basis, which is and they invited you to the party through these stories. Nice. So yeah. Very cool. I think so. Well, I think we've given our listeners some good titles to check out if you need to take your mind off of what's going on in the world. Absolutely. We certainly did, even just for an afternoon. Very good. Well, listeners, take a deep breath, and we'll be right back. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved. Suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast. A colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now.
Welcome back, listeners. We are so thrilled today to have with us Andrew Castor, famous running coach here in Mono County, coach of the Mammoth Track Club. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome. Hi, Stacy and Christopher. Thanks for having me. We're so glad you could make time for us today. Thanks so much. How are you doing these days with all of this stuff going on? Yeah, all the uncertainty and uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing all right. Yeah, um, our, my family, uh, Dina, my wife and my daughter Piper and our two dogs, you know, we're, we're maintaining some sort of normalcy. You know, we, we usually tra- <laughs> travel a bunch during this time. You know, I'm usually right. on races uh, around the country or around the globe and we just haven't been traveling at all. So that's kind of the, uh, the void in our life right now, which is absolutely fine because our house has never been cleaner. <laughs> that's that, a great thing. That is a great silver lining way to look at this. That's awesome. <laughs> so Andrew, will you please share with our listeners who maybe are not familiar with you, how you came to be in Mono County and a little bit about more about what you do here. Right. Sure. Yeah. So to kind of go through it quickly, uh, grew up in, in Fountain Valley, California, which is in Orange County and, and started, started my young athletic career, um, in high school running cross country and track and really fell in love with running and went to a school in Colorado, Adams state university and majored in exercise physiology. Cause I, I had this thirst for knowledge of, of the human body and how it worked and how, how we could train it to be faster and better and stronger. And, um, I crossed paths with, uh, my future wife, my current wife, <laughs> uh, my only wife, uh, <laughs> Dina, um, you know, her, her passion of, of running too. And she was a professional athlete when I was going to school in Colorado. And, uh, we moved here in 2001 in the fall of 2001, um, because of the rare air, uh, yes. in, in mammoth and you know, you're the, the oxygen starved, uh, podcast. And I'm like, well, that's the only reason we're in mammoth is because <laughs> of the, of the lower partial pressure of, of air and the, and the relative, um, uh, lower con, uh, concentrations of oxygen. So that's, mm-hmm. that's why we're here. And that's what led us here. We were coming here for a, a four year training cycle, uh, you know, that's obviously the, the Olympics are every quadrennium and, right. and, uh, that led us here and we loved it so much. We stayed for another and then stayed for another. And now we're coming up on, on 19 years of being in, <laughs> being in Mono County and, and Mammoth in our, in our, in our first home that we bought in 2001. That's that, makes, a- that makes you finally a local, right? I, I don't know. You tell me, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Can you quickly just, for some of our listeners who may not understand the effect of oxygen and what rare air is, can you kind of talk a little bit about why it's important to train at this altitude? Yeah, sure. So, so 95% of Olympic medalists in the, in the distance running events all live or train at altitude. Mm. Uh, you know, it's our philosophy that we, that we live up here year round and then go down to sea level for races or even sea level training camps for two to three weeks before a race. Right. So, so our, um, our, our MO is to, to be up here and to get a, a very high concentrated level of red blood cells, uh, basically because our body is always under some sort of stress, um, being at altitude. So that helps us at, at sea level because we have a, a higher 
oxygen carrying capacity, which delivers oxygen to the working muscles. So that's, that's in, in a nutshell, that's kind of why we're, we're here. It just makes running at sea level that much easier. Right. Right. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it is so cool. So you have published a book this last April called Keep Running, How to Run Injury-Free with Power and Joy for Decades. I loved it. Um, <laughs> but what inspired you to write this book, Andrew? Yeah, so I, I wrote a book two years ago, uh, How to Run Your First Marathon. It's a 20-week complete program to, to running your first marathon. And, and that editor or um, that publisher, I should say, the publisher really enjoyed that book and it, and it did, did quite well on Amazon. And I was approached um, about, a, about a year ago in, the, in October September, October of 2019 to, to write another book. And they, and they, they had the idea of, well, what's it like to run? What kind of changes happens during, during, you know, aging process, you Mm -hmm. know, how, what to expect when you're thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies and beyond. And I said, you know what? I actually have some experience with this because I, I, I coach, you know, I coach all abilities. I coach all runners. I've, I help out with the Mammoth High School team here in Mammoth, um, help out with the coaching there, uh, kind of advising some the, you know, the, the coaching staff. And then I also coach the adult membership of the Mammoth Track Club, which comprises of runners in their 60s and 70s. And then I also coach the elite team for the Mammoth Track Club. And I said, you know what? I, I actually have a little bit of experience with coaching <laughs> mm-hmm. coaching um, you know, athletes who are trying to qualify for Boston in their age group or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, I can really, I can really sink my teeth into this. And, and it seemed like a good opportunity to pass along the knowledge that, that I've gained uh, just – just through the the coaching experience that I've I've had over the last twenty years here in here in Mammoth, and I think that's one of the reasons why this book resonated with me as an older runner or former runner, and I have had the great fortune to be coached by you, so I know how <laughs> awesome you are. Um, and so, tell if you can give a little a little summary or a little. Um, advice to our listeners who are looking to maybe just start a fitness journey, what would you recommend would be like the three things they do first? Sure. Uh, I think education, you know, educating yourself, uh, on, on the training is, is paramount. Uh, some people, you know, hire, you know, coaches or personal trainers or even, even life coaches to help them out because they don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also manage the expectation, you know, set, set goals. A part of big part of my job is, is managing the expectations of all the athletes I work out, work with, mm-hmm. uh, and, and seeing, asking them their goals and saying, okay, why do you want to achieve X, Y, and Z. Why is X, Y, and Z so important? Uh, you know, you can't start at X, Y, and Z. We need to start at A, B, and C. Right. And that's and that's part of my job is to to help navigate that landmine, if you will. Yeah. Of of um, I want to I want to run a mile in in under six minutes. And uh, <laughs> in, in, you know, in next ne- next month, you know, it's like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> first of all, first of all, why do you want to run the mile under six minutes? And then second of all, why does it have to be next month? And and, thir- <laughs> right. and, thir- and third, let's chat about this. Let's let's set <laughs> more goals. You know, let's let's first break seven. Let's first break six forty five, and, and kind of chop our way down, um, and, and kind of piecemeal it 
you know, in, in, in that respect. That, that would be really difficult. I, how, how do you handle that when somebody who's clearly out of shape comes to you and says, well, I want to do, I want to run Boston. I want to qualify for Boston in six months. Right. Yeah. So we, so we, we start, you know, we, we have to start where they are currently in their fitness. If it's, if they've been sitting on the couch for six years, then we got to start from there you know, and, and then, and then let, and then let the fitness dictate where we go and how quickly we get there. So it's, it, it, and it's, it's a delicate balance. And, you know, I like to, I like to be very realistic with the athletes that I coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a coaching business where I coach athletes all across the country, uh, at various paces and, and abilities and everything. And, and then I have the athletes that I coach here in, in Mammoth, the, the, the elites that are living here. And I take the same approach with each and every one of them that, Hey, we know we need to need to be one realistic. What have you done in the past? What, where you are currently yeah. and, and what I think you can do in the future. And I got to be kind of vague with that, what they can do in the future. Cause I don't want to either set them up to fail even right. in, in either direction of like, Oh, it's like, Oh, you only think I can run this fast by this time. Oh, okay. Well that you're not very confident in me coach or, or I think you can run this fast. And then they blow up trying to run right. this outlandish personal best that they've set for themselves. So it's a, it's a kind of a, it's kind of like walking on eggshells a little bit and, yeah. and got to kind of be dicey, but, uh, it's, it's all, it's all part of the fun of trying to, of, of coaching, you know, it's, it's yeah. there, there's a science aspect to coaching and then there's the artful form of, of coaching. And I'll, you have to have a kind of a, a blend of, of both, you know, there's, yep. there's, there's physiologists out there that work in laboratories and get, and get values of blood profiles and, and, uh, VO2 max and lactate thresholds and all these, all these different values, but they don't, they don't really know how to apply it. They don't know how mm-hmm. to look into an athlete's eyes and see if they're tired coming into a workout and then making an adjustment in real time based off intuition, because they've seen this 20 times before in the last 20 years. Right. So, so there, there's a, there's definitely an art form to it. Do you get a sense, you know, in what we're going through today with a pandemic and so many people being cooped up, frankly, do you get a sense from your vantage point that more people are trying to take up running or retake up running after a long time just to kind of get out and get exercise or anything? You know, Christopher, during, during April, during our, our really hardcore shutdown, you know, April, mm-hmm. April and May, I would sit out our, I would sit in front of our front window, drinking my coffee, reading a book, whatever. And I noticed so many people walking and running up the street, right? Way more than normal, and especially in April and May. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think like this is going to be a. It's, it's. I'm hearing rumblings of a of a running a second running boom or a third mm. running boom. Yeah. Ba- based on well, you know, I, I I lost my job. I have a pair of running shoes that are kind of old. I dusted them off. I'm going out for runs now because it's free. You know, yeah. it only costs a couple hundred bucks every, every few months to buy a new pair of running shoes versus, right. versus jumping on a, on, on a mountain bike that you have to pay $1,500 to $3,000 for. So I think, I really think there is a, a running boom that's going on. And it's, I think it's a little different. People are running more for, for fitness and mental health versus mm, right. I want to, I want to run a half marathon. I want to run a right. marathon because, there, <laughs> because there are none out there. Everything's right. got, everything's been canceled. You know, yeah. every, everything was rescheduled for 
everything in the spring was rescheduled for fall. And then the fall races are now all being canceled. So people are, are running to see how fast they can run around their block. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're doing, they're running courses they may not have, have done in the past and they're kind of exploring their fitness and, and, and some people are hiring coaches and some people are joining virtual running groups to stay motivated and, and, and joining apps on their phones to track their fitness and all that kind of stuff. Every, anything you can kind of do for, for free or, you know, at a very minimal cost during this uncertain time is, is valuable. And I'm having to get creative with, with the athletes that I coach. It's like, it's like, Hey, let's, you know, I, I coached an athlete. He ran a half marathon around his house, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and I, and I joined him and I, and I did it around my house back in, back in April where I ran 185 laps around oh my, my, my house and, <laughs> and, uh, for a half marathon distance. And it was just like, that was the thing to do because people were running marathons on their front decks and you right. know, in their backyards over in England and that sort of thing. Right. And, and just kind of just doing new and kind of different things. It's, it's been interesting. So you mentioned races being postponed and the Olympics were supposed to be this summer and they've been postponed. How does that, how do you as a coach keep your athletes that were scheduled to run in this summer's Olympics? How how does, how do you keep them motivated? How does that mess with your training plan for them? How, how does that all Right. Right. Yeah. Actually this week is, was supposed to be track and field, track and field week in in Tokyo for the Olympics. So it's it's been, it's been hard. You know, I I see, I see elite athletes tweeting out and posting on Instagram that I was supposed to be in the Olympic final in the steeplechase today, you know? And and it's just like, wow, it's kind of, I mean, there, there are, there are a few races happening, uh, in the country, in, in the U S right now mm-hmm. where, where athletes have to get a COVID test seven days before it has to be negative, of course. And then they travel to the venue and then the day before they get another COVID test. And if that's negative, they get to race and it's a very small meet, no spectators. Right. They, right. they, they, they announce it to the public a day or two before so that there are, there, there are no spectators traveling to the event. So it's kind of, it's kind of wonky, but, but there are small little pop-up races happening, but in terms of mass races where there's no Chicago marathon, right. there's no New York marathon, I'm getting creative with, with creating time trials so that we can, we can maintain, uh, our periodization of training. Mm-hmm. That's where, that's where you train specifically hard for 16 to 20 weeks to get the most out of yourself and then take a little bit of a, a, a reprieve or a break or recovery period after that mm-hmm. of, of a week or two or three. So I'm having to do that with athletes where they're training for a, a solo or maybe their spouse is riding the bike with them or something training yeah. for a solo half marathon or 20 mile time trial or a 30 K time trial, which they've never done before. And that's, that's something they can sink their teeth into where it's like, okay, I need to get up every morning and stay motivated so that I can run this 30 K time right. trial in which I right. had no, no, prior, uh, personal best for, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, so you gotta be creative and everyone's different. You know, there, there are yeah. some, there are some elite athletes right now getting surgeries done because there, there are no real races going on because they've had this nagging heel injury for years. And it's like, well, wow. My, might as well shave that bone off now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That brings up a question for me, especially around your latest book, 
um, keep running, which is, you know, the, the premise of the book is how to run injury free for decades. So are there typical issues or challenges that people face like in their thirties that are different than what people who are runners might face when they're in their forties or fifties or sixties? Like what should people be mindful of for their age group? Yeah. Great, great question. And, and I dive into the specifics in, in the book, of course, but, uh, I think, I think mostly is, is that expectation. We, it, it is, it is known that we do slow down as we age. We all know mm-hmm. that. And, and we <laughs> yeah. have, and we have to realize that, you know, there's the, some of the people that I work with were, were really fast in their thirties and forties. And they have to realize that they're never going to run those times again in their 60s or 50s and 60s and 70s right and, and we have to to back off on the on the one on the training we have to back off on how we structure the week and how we structure the workouts where we give maybe one or two more days in between hard workouts to allow the mm. body to recover you know instead of instead of getting in two workouts plus a long run in the seven day training cycle stretch that training cycle to, to 10 days or even 12 days where you're right you're getting it in. And, uh, I think, you know, most, most of the people that pick up this book, keep running. I think most of the people are type a sort of overachiever types mm-hmm. that they want to get better. They, they're constantly wanting to get better at, at running and in life and at being a CEO or a, or an right. attorney or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and they're going to pick up the book and they're going to hopefully learn from it, but they're also going to say, Hey, you know what? I need to get more massages, uh, in my training cycle. You know, I need to allocate funds for, for regular massage therapy to to take Mm -hmm. care of my calves and my ongoing Achilles problem and and to really nurture myself going into my fifties, sixties and seventies. So I, I see a lot of, I see a lot more athletes in that age cat in those upper age categories investing in their selves um, right. mm-hmm. more more so than they did in their 30s and 40s when life was crazy they're building a business they're they're raising a family and now that they're done building their businesses in their 50s 60s and 70s and they're and they're done raising families it's like well i got i got extra money and <laughs> and, and i got and i got extra time and i can i can take two or three or four naps per week i can i can you know i can make i can take an extra 20 minutes to make that really nutrient rich density rich uh uh smoothie for after my run right. to help to help mm-hmm. nourish my body so i so i, I like to i like to uh I like to uh have have people do that uh to to kind of uh, buffer that uh, bolster that that aspect of their of their recovery because I, I I trust that people train hard, they work hard during the workouts, they get up early, they're dedicated, but it's those other twenty two hours yeah. you know during the day where they need to sleep, they need to take a nap, they need to eat well in order to recover because they're not twenty anymore, they're not thirty anymore right right yeah, getting older it, <laughs> it happens to all of us, doesn't it it does. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, that's true. So, Andrew, you, you, you and your family, you said you've all been here for about 19 years now. So what do you like to do when you are not coaching and not training athletes? 
Sure. Yeah. Well, right now we're actually camping up at Lake Mary. Uh, that's one nice. of our, that's one of our things that we've, that we've done since the, the birth of, of our daughter Piper, who's now nine, uh, going into fourth grade this fall. Uh, she started her first, she started kindergarten while we were camping up at Coldwater Campground <laughs> here, in, <laughs> here in Mammoth, you know, so she smelled like campfire going into, going into school. Um, so we, so we like to, we like to, we like to go camping, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, if my house is five miles away, I like to sleep in my own bed. You know? so, <laughs> so I, so I, so I, so I'm, so I'm camping with uh, quote with air quotations. Um, <laughs> So yeah, camping and, and, uh, paddle boarding and, and, uh, you know, lots of, you know, bike riding, mountain biking, you know, Dean and I, and, and Piper will go for a run and Piper will be on her mountain bike and we'll right. do that. And, and, uh, I love to ski after I coach, after I'm done working with the, the elite runners of Mammoth Track Club down in Bishop during the winter, you know, usually home by noon or 1230 and, I throw on my I throw on my ski boots and then grab my skis and walk down to the lift at chair fifteen and yes. go up go go up with Piper and and uh, so we're we we become we become a ski family you know two thirds of us ski Dina, <laughs> <laughs> Dina, 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 Dina doesn't of course um, but uh, so yeah we we keep ourselves occupied and 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 uh, lots of lots of family time you know both That's both, great. both both Dean and I are in business you know, for ourselves and in, in, in the running industry, it's, if, if Dina's traveling to the Chicago marathon in the fall, you know, she has speaking obligations and, mm-hmm. and race and race ambassador duties that she has to fulfill. But I likely have an elite athlete in the field. So I'm there from a, from a coaching standpoint and right. we bring, and we bring Piper along with us. So she's, you know, she gets, she gets to go to millennium park in Chicago and kick around in the water fountain and, be there at the, uh, the, the giant reflective bean that they have in millennium park. And so anyway, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and, and traveling is kind of our, one of our hobbies too. You know, we've been, been around the world and have taken Piper with us and, and, um, it's, it's been great. Building we, stories and building memories. For oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. So no, no pressure with this question, but is there a third book on the way? Not from me. No, not, not, <laughs> not, not currently. Um, no, I, I do, I, I, I do have a, have a, have a goal of, re, of, I don't, I don't want to say rewriting that. That's terrible. Uh, of making it an additional second version or second edition mm-hmm. of uh, coach V Hill's book road to the top. And coach V Hill was, was one of the pioneer coaches and founding fathers, if you will, of, of altitude training, um, globally and then altitude training here in mammoth with uh, the first the first iteration of the mammoth track club and was uh, my wife's dina's uh longtime coach that led her to an olympic medal and american records and everything and national championships and and coach v hill wrote a book road to the top about his adam state runners back in the 80s well 70s 80s and he wrote the book in the early 90s and um i think it needs to be freshened up a little bit um, there you go. And uh, so that's that's something that's way back there in the back of my mind uh, about about uh, you know he every, everything that he wrote about was from Alamosa, Colorado, high altitude. Okay. Uh-huh. But then this would be a second version of what he did here in in Mammoth, Mammoth. and 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 you and 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 uh, you, using Dean as an example, and of course Meb that you know very mm-hmm. well using yes. Meb as an example too. So cool. That's- well, you'll keep us posted, right? 
I will. Absolutely. For sure. All right. So, Andrew, we have one last question for you. We ask all of our guests, what are you reading now? What am I reading now? I've actually been bouncing around uh, Frankenstein. Nice. <laughs> Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley, yes. And I, it was, I started it during like the major lockdown here, here in Mammoth. And, and uh, we, were, we were getting rid of, of things around the house and, and, uh, and, and we're getting rid of old books. And I'm like, you know what? I was a science major. I lived in the science department. <laughs> I didn't read Frankenstein. And I'll be honest, you know, I didn't read a lot of, a lot of the, the fictional stories. You know, I was, I was nonfiction. I was, right. I was, I was nuts and bolts and biology and all that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pick this up. And wow. Uh, the verbiage, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> amazing. Um, but something I just, uh, something I just finished uh, was uh, Atomic Habits by um, by James Clear, and that's more up my alley, if you will, of you know self improvement and and linking habits together, and and um, it was very very enlightening of how to how to make habits stick, and and how and how habits are the compound interest of of self improvement, um, you know, just like linking linking small things together, you know, very very healthy things that only take maybe 20 or 30 seconds or 60 seconds to, to put them all in a row. But when you, when you add them up over the course of three weeks, three months, a year, you know, they really start to start to be, you know, health, healthful. Nice. So how, how did you find out about that book? Cause he's a, you know, he's written kind of a lot of stuff around that. Like he's got a habit journal and, and other things like there's a kind of a little cottage industry around that book. What, what brought that to your attention? Uh, that's a great question. I think one of one of our athletes read it. I think one of our okay. athletes read it, and he was like, "Hey, this is this is really great." And so he found it and and passed it passed it along to me. And um, I read it. Um, I guess kind of over the winter winter months and into the spring was kind of was kind of picking up and reading. I was I was writing my book too, so I didn't get a lot of time mm-hmm. to, to read. Um, I was doing research mainly, you know, online articles and, yeah. and, uh, yeah. pulling, pulling articles to, to write my book. But, uh, that's like the last, that's like the last great, great book that, that I've read. And then of, of course, Frankenstein's a great book. And I, you know, I'm like, wow, this is to be able to, to have a, a command of the English language. And, uh, it's, it's just, it, I guess, I guess I've never read anything, anything like it. <laughs> well, that's why that's why it's a classic, right? It's exactly. Not right. Yeah. It's boring. It's <laughs> maybe it would have influenced the language you used and keep running differently if you had read that beforehand. <laughs> likely, li- likely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, well, those are those are great recommendations. Yes, and we will we will put links to both of those books in our, in our show notes as well as to your book. And thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us, taking yeah. some time away from your camping with your family um, to be with us today and, and talk with us. We really appreciate it, and we enjoyed it a lot. Well, Christopher and Stacy, thank you so much for having me, and uh, I'll keep you apprised of anything new that comes along, and, and share it, and be sure to share it with you. Absolutely. Perfect. Thanks. And- 
And thank you, listeners, for joining us on another episode of Oxygen Starved Podcast, Adventure Books and Conversation from 11,000 Feet. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as we have. We encourage you to find us on all major podcast platforms where you can subscribe and rate us and tell your friends, or you can find us at our Instagram account, O2Starved, or on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, where you can also email us your feedback if you'd like. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, get out and move around a bit if you're not a runner, and um, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Take care. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.